The Art of Engineering. Engineers talking about their process, principles, and personal stories. Presented by Custom Powder Systems, the containment company. On today's show. For women at that time period, we're just getting into 1980 at this time, to progress was to jump companies. Yes. Move on to another one, new fresh start. Now from the Custom Powder Systems headquarters, your host, Denise McIntosh. So welcome, Jean Ann Groves, to our podcast called The Art of Engineering that has expanded to include lots of things that happen in the engineering and manufacturing and all, lots of different industries. Jean Ann and I have been friends since college, and, and what I want to hear today is Jean Ann's journey in not just the corporate world and in a non-traditional part of that world, and then to entrepreneurship and then back to corporate. And finally to retirement, which I'm very envious of, <laughs> but Jean Ann, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. I'm very pleased to be here. So I, this is a question I've never asked you. As long as I've known you, I don't believe I've ever asked this question. Oh, good. <laughs> is how did you choose the the industry? How did you choose the major? Okay, when it wasn't really even a thing then. Oh, are you talking about the business continuity, or well, it wasn't yeah. a thing that women were in the workplace? Right, right. The latter. Yes. Okay, but even well, the beginning. At K-State and Oklahoma State. Right. Well, just through, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town. You grew up in an even smaller town in Kansas. And um, my dad was a businessman in many different facets. You know, they a, a lot of different things that he had going, but primarily in the oil industry. That's the area that we lived in. But just education and school was really very much my focus. And I, uh, it was really my salvation was the education. And I actively wanted to be the teacher's pet and, and go forward with that. And I was good. At, I know you guys have been focusing on the sciences and I was good in the sciences. I loved the physics, the chemistry, but math was my strongest suit. So going forward into university, I started off as a math major. Did not know that. Yes, it was my first year. And to this day, it was the toughest curriculum, uh, most challenging academia activity that I ever had. But I was not sure what to do after a year. I said, what do you do with this degree? And what I heard was not encouraging. <laughs> so I transitioned over to business content, excuse me, I, into the business administration school because I became a finance major. So I still had the math angle going, but it was not going to be the pure science of math. Okay. So then you went to Oklahoma State for a master's. Yes. In? Again, in finance and an okay. MBA, but focus on finance. I really, I finished up the four years at Kansas State and looked at it and thought, I don't think this was quite worth four years of my life. Now, maybe I could have applied myself more vigorously. I had some 
good times in college too. But I decided I needed to, I was willing to invest the time for uh, at the, at the uh, business school to focus and make more valuable what I had done to that point. And it, it seemed to work out that way. So I was amazed when you took your first job at where you were going and how much you were making. I was in awe. Oh, yes. Well, that was excellent. But let's let's understand why. Why it was 1974 and why. So this is kind of like a history lesson. I would not have been offered, and I had other offers, uh, but I would not have been offered the uh, the job I got had with Exxon had it not been 10 years before that the uh, Equal Employment Act Commission, the EEOC, which actually came out of the, um, and I had to write it down so I'd remember what it was, it came out of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So it wasn't focused, you know, specifically on women, but it was for overall. And we were just part of the bucket of all of that. And for 10 years, the corporations just ignored it. Right. You know, they're going to go on business as usual. And finally, they, some of the bigger corporations said, well, hmm, this is not going to go away. And if this is the way the world is going to be, then let's get in there and, and get the talent that we can try for. So, yeah, the, the salary, my father said they shouldn't be paying you that. <laughs> nice guy. But I, we had to fill out in the career center, we had to fill out a postcard looking thing. And uh, because they wanted to keep track of where people were going. And they had a little checklist of what your salary range was. And I had to write mine in because it didn't go that high. Awesome. <laughs> Well, so I also want to know about your first experience with Exxon in Wyoming. Ah, well, I'd, I'd been in Houston for a few years, and then they were tapping me on the head and said, we want you to move in to being a supervisor. And as decentralized as Exxon is, that means you're headed for the hinterlands somewhere. And, and it's kind of like a foreign assignment. You know, you're going to do that and come away from it. And first they tried to send me to Southern Illinois to underground coal. Deadly boring, not a good place to be. And I hurried back and talked to my boss. And he said, well, we, we can't just come say no. We have to go find somebody who says they desperately need you. And that's where Exxon Minerals uranium mining in Wyoming came. And I was a Westerner and I had a horse. I could fit into Wyoming for a few years. And so I, that's what I did. So I, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. What encounters did you have being a woman in where there weren't many women in finance in corporate America and particularly in that industry? Well, it was, it, it, let me, Step back to the MBA school on that for a second. There were 150 of us in, in the school, and three of us were women. Mm -hmm. Two of my professors called me Mr. Groves. 
Now, the first one just kind of did it accidentally because he was taking roll one day and he was reading from a list and he said, Mr. Groves, and I spoke up and said, my father couldn't make it today. I came in instead. And it was about two weeks later, he came on and he said, when is your father going to be out? I said, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> but I had another professor who, my God, was not going to have a woman in her, his class. And he called me Mr. Groves previously the entire semester. But by the time you, with Exxon, there were a number, uh, uh, we were a minority, but there were women in our group. And I was the first woman in our group to make the first grade increase. However, every one of the guys had already gotten it. Well, of course. Yeah. So uh, I eventually get to Wyoming and I'm doing budgeting and planning and cost analysis and capital improvement and we're doing we have modularized how to dig where to find yell, uh, the uranium and so we put all these pieces together the cost of you know of, of uh, digging and and excavating and so I, I'm really pretty much enjoying it and it was uh, you know underground mining I, by the time I finished with Exxon I had three different styles of hard hats. Oh. where I, I'd been in a refinery or, or an underground. And one of the things about underground that you don't know is it's windy, very windy underground. And you'll pass through a drift and you have to grab your, your light and, and helmet because it'll blow off. Radon daughters are so dangerous down there and emitting that they keep a, a very strong ventilation system going in, in there. Exxon typically homegrew all of their people, but they didn't have miners. So they had to go out and bring in mine managers and employees, mainly from coal and Appalachia. And these are some of the most cussedly independent people that you've ever met. And I just loved it. So, and, and the, the mining engineers, I loved all that group of people. You made it easy for yourself. Well, I needed to because. I had my boss's boss was out to ruin me. And he was a, he was a guy who was kind of gone beyond his level of, of expertise or capabilities. And he was trying to undermine me every step of the way. And the mine managers, whether it was open pit or uh, underground, really liked me because I brought a lot of information to him. But I realized I was in trouble. And I would tell anyone that if you encounter somebody who's trying to undermine you, you can't change people. No. And as for women, and then it was, and that was the kind of thing it was for him. And he was quite nasty about it, but he'd always do it only face to face. Nobody else would ever, he did mess up one time and do it right in front of my boss. And I turned to him and I said, this is what I've been telling you. But a headhunter came in on the white horse charging, and I was primed for it because this guy was was really going to cause me grief. So headhunter yes. um, came along, and I went off to Phillips Petroleum Company. So my my uh, description of those people, yes, are empty suits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well. You move oh, well. on. 
Well, you and move on. And the other thing is for women at that time period, we're just getting into 1980 at this time, is they they were so careful to watch you and make sure you weren't going to go crazy on them that to progress because the regressions became came more slowly to the women the way to to improve your position was to jump companies yes yes move on to another one new fresh start and phillips had homegrown everyone and they had decided they needed to actually bring people in who had a depth of experience elsewhere. And I came, I got scooped up in in that search. There were three of us, two guys and me. You know, I've said all along that, and, and you are exactly the same. It's hard not to like us <laughs> because we're, because we engage people and we listen mm-hmm. and we build relationships because that has smoothed the path. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a good thing to learn early as women in non-traditional roles. Here's another good thing that I learned is my Exxon experience was varied and it was good. And I worked with really smart people. I also worked with people in Exxon who were more interested in moving up to the organization. And if that took... Um, treating other people badly or trying to shine a bad light on them to eliminate the competition. I was surprised because if you come into a company from college, you know, they kind of are just rewarding you for what you can do and to have somebody be, uh, you know, somebody who's negative or what I call an upward mobility type who only wanted to do the job to move to the next uh, incre- increase in their rank as opposed to doing best by the job. That wasn't true at Phillips. And I had, they had such a deep bench at Exxon that the interesting stuff didn't come along as often. But at Phillips, I got far better work experience, much better exposure, and much more, just had a, a really good work life career there. Then you transitioned. And became an entrepreneur. Well, I did that. I had some change of life that went on that took me out of the country. And I had a change of life in my personal life. And when that restarted, and I'm still in that life, (laughs) uh, I had to step back and look and say, well, now what do I want to do? Because I've, I've done these big corporations. And the person that I was restarting my life with was also wanting to do that, wanted to go out on his own, wanted to be a consultant. And he was just absolutely perfect for that type of environment. And I thought, well, I think I'll do that too. So we ended up going in different directions. We were in the same consulting firm. But I found through a client pushing me in in that direction, and that was Symantec, a software company, security software is business continuity planning. And I found something that I just ate up with a spoon, fit me down to my toes and completely engaged me like no other work had before. So give us a just a, a two, 30 second description of business continuity. Okay. 
It's the idea that you have to be resilient. A business has to be resilient. Your clients require that of you. And so you have to identify the most critical processes that your uh, company depends upon in order to deliver the product to the client and identify those, uh, try to eliminate risks that will disrupt them, but then also have incident management teams in place so that when the inevitable disruption does come, you can mitigate its impact and also make a fast recovery. Tell me about the most challenging event in business continuity that you experienced? You know, we we did pandemic uh, preparedness planning, and I don't think it, but we did came even close to being ready for this. We we did the, some of the SARS and stuff, and it worked all right. But when the volcano in Iceland blackened the sky and made jet travel be uh, impossible, and therefore we couldn't move our product, products were being manufactured in. Um, Actually, I didn't even say who this was with. Uh, this was uh, Hitachi Data Systems, which was the last company I worked for in the Silicon Valley. And so they ha- they made um, storage equipment, and now you couldn't ship it. And so we had to do, and, and I work, you know, I was a facilitator. I was a person who said, okay, I know how you know how you run your business day to day, but you're not used to having to put it back together again. That's a completely different activity. And so I had to make them think from the disaster point of view and be able to uh, formulate new ways. And we hadn't planned for this. You plan for a lot of common ones. You're going to lose power. You're going to lose uh, the resources and IT. But then the one comes out that you don't plan for. And what we ended up doing was taking trucks and shipping everything to Turkey to an airfield that was not impacted by that. And and the team came up with that. I just had already a structure in place for them to address problems and be able to, and then their brains would go to work and go, yeah, the the ones, some of the ones that will happen are so out of left field. But, but you just have to have a, a structure in place that's ready and the people already identified it and the tools are there and then they can go to work and solve the problems. At this point, Jeannie, I'd yes. like to address a topic that we have not addressed in these podcasts. Okay. But we know and we know that it impacts lots of people's lives because we learned in 2010 that there is are probably one in three women and probably one in four or five men who have been impacted in some way by abuse. Yes. And you and I share stories. Yes. We have, we have, uh, it's, it's impacted within our own families. Yes. Well, this is our, our, our PSA portion or public announcement. You know, I really feel fulfilled by my work life. My personal life is very good, but it was also very important to be, get to a place of safety. And so my successful career has allowed me to have, uh, you know, a, uh, a secure retirement, but it wasn't always like that. Um, I 
was lifted up by my family because they provided me the opportunity to education. And that was the base that I could spring off of. And because my home life was literally dangerous, I mean, severely dangerous, threatening and undermining, that's why I focused on education and school so much. That was a separate life. I could leave the home and I could be uh, valued in that. So the flip side of, of being impacted that way is you become very self-sufficient and also um, you, you develop survival skills. So even though my family is, is no longer you know, on this earth and who knows what drove them to be the kind of people that they were, uh, I was able to build a strong and independent life. And I think it's important to realize for anyone who listens to these podcasts, nobody gets through this life without trauma. At some stage of your life, it'll always come and, and, and hit you. And to know that I had I had it really bad as a child, but I was able to build a successful life mm-hmm. and be happy. Yes. And I can tell you, Jean Ann, that there are two conversations that we've had in our lifetimes that are the most meaningful to me. The first one was when you trusted me enough to share your experience. And the second one was when I called you to tell you that the same incident had happened in my family with my son, that I knew there was a missing puzzle piece. You were the first one that I thought to call. And my first, and my question was, Jean-Anne, how do I, what do I say? What do I do? And your question back to me was, what did you say? And I said, the only thing I could say was, I am so sorry because I was to be the protector and I was not. And then you said these three words. (laughs) You believed him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did not realize. I mean, it took me back to our conversation of how if you aren't believed that that's another victimization that's yeah. another form of abuse yeah yeah i'm i'm glad you were up to the task when it well, when you came face to face in your family and you have been an inspiration you still <laughs> are an inspiration to both myself and my son because we had such a connection of what the value of and what Brene Brown says is vulnerability and being able to share our life experiences and what that support does for people. Well, well, thank you, because I, I've noticed that other abuse victims can spot each other. I've been spotted by another one <laughs> and gotten, you know, gotten called out. Well, how did you figure that out that I went through something like that? And uh, it, it's, it's sad that there's this kind of thing in the world. And I think it, for people who've not suffered anything like that, to understand that maybe their coworker did and to be tolerant and to know that 
there may maybe things going on behind the scenes that have formed them, changed them, isolated them, and and you know, be compassionate. Yes, we had a um it just as as a part of that because of the pandemic, we've been doing a lot of of team meetings even within our own group because it's just more comfortable. You don't have to wear your mask and you can be where you are. <laughs> and about a month ago, I was at a low point. I mean, I, I've been through most of this year being, being a pretty bright spot because I'm so capable of working by myself and I, I, I like that. And <laughs> But one day I just reached out and said, can we just go around the room around, around, and just well, say how you're feeling today. Yes. Well, I don't know why I was feeling down and low, but at the end of 30 minutes of everybody just coming forward and saying what they felt, whether it was good, bad, or, or in the middle, whatever my dark cloud was, mm. was gone. So the whole communication, listening, vulnerability, so important. So, and who brings that to the table better than anybody else? A woman. <laughs> <laughs> so past that, thank you for sharing because it's a, it's a topic that doesn't get addressed enough. But what would you share with young people at this point in your life to encourage A, closing the gender gap, and B, closing the wage gap for exploring what all the possibilities are in all the industries that are out there? I think you have to consider yourself your own corporation. And that'll make you get out of bad situations pretty quickly if you look at yourself that way. You've, you've, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of, of uh, your, the brand, that sort of thing. I think you've got to really do hard work. You've got to be, build real skills. You have to have develop an expertise. And if you can be in love like I was with your expertise, then you're going to rule your work life. And that's what you have to focus on. And, I've never had to have a, maybe I've never known if I've been underpaid, but I've never had to go challenge someone on like that. Thank goodness I wouldn't enjoy that conversation at all because you come beggar in hand almost for something like that. So, you know, be your best self, be as, as, as uh, talented and well, well read, join the professional societies, be active within them. Uh, they'll help you tremendously, especially if you're kind of in a niche type position. Mm -hmm. Then you have your family within the uh, the, the business world and uh, rule your life. You've done well. Thank you. I feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean Ann, thank you for joining me today on this podcast and exploring some interesting things and an interesting life. Well, thank you. This was, uh, I was fearful of this. <laughs> I thought I would just not be able to handle the pressure, but it's, it's been very enjoyable. The Art of Engineering. 
Engineers talking about their process, principles, and personal stories. Presented by Custom Powder Systems, the containment company. Custom-Powder.com.